Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. And welcome in to Newsmax Daily for Thursday, May 4th, 2023. May the 4th be with you on this Star Wars Day, featuring all kinds of events and celebrations of the George Lucas mega franchise, not only in the United States, but all around the world. Interesting little fact, the original Star Wars film, 1977, cost 11 million bucks to make. That's less than what many actors make in the newer episodes of the franchise. Uh, that movie generating about $800 million in revenue. Cost $11 million to make, generating about $800 million in revenue. That one film, the franchise, of course, has generated billions of dollars, including the 2012 $4 billion sale to the Disney Corporation. And soon, there will be people that... Don't even know Star Wars didn't actually come from Disney. It's kind of sad. And Disney World, about 30 minutes down the road from where I live, is one of the places people will be headed today to celebrate May the 4th. More importantly, it is also National Day of Prayer Day, meant to encourage Americans to pray, meditate, and repent. The origins of National Day of Prayer date all the way back to Benjamin Franklin and President George Washington in the late 1700s. Then Reverend Billy Graham petitioned for a National Day of Prayer in 1952. President Harry Truman signed a bill proclaiming a National Day of Prayer, which is celebrated every year on the first Thursday of May. And today is International Firefighters Day. We certainly cannot leave that one out. My cousin Brian, by the way, a dedicated Newsmax viewer and a retired New York City firefighter and 9-11 survivor. So shout out to all current and retired firefighters. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe include them in your prayers today. President Biden has issued the proclamation of National Prayer Day at the White House, but the White House calendar does not show a specific prayer day or firefighter day event. Uh, there is one event that should be interesting. Vice President Kamala Harris meeting with top tech company executives about artificial intelligence. Can't wait to hear some of the sound bites that come out of that. All right, the big story at the White House and in Washington is the pending end of Title 42. It's a big story, in fact, for the whole country, or at least it should be, with the horrendous, unacceptable crisis debacle at the border expected to get even worse when the Trump-era policy comes to an end in a few days. We get more from Greta Van Susteren and Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Well, on May 11th, uh, Title 42 will be lifted, and everyone is trying to figure out, you know, what we're going to do, what's going to happen. Well, one of the things the Biden administration is now touting is that it has reached an agreement with Mexico, allowing for people coming from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, when they cross our border, for us to return those four nationalities back to Mexico. Uh, your thoughts on this? And this is just part of what they're proposing. 
Well, look, if that's real, that's a step in the right direction. It's the first positive thing they may have done on the border in two and a half years. What I can tell you is what their practice has been from the day Joe Biden took the oath of office until today. And their practice has been to refuse to follow the law and to allow complete and open borders. There were three specific steps Joe Biden did his first week in office that caused this crisis. Number one, he immediately halted construction of the border wall. Number two, he reinstated the disastrous policy of catch and release so that now when we apprehend someone, they turn around and let them go. And number three, he pulled out of the incredibly successful Remain in Mexico agreement, which enabled people who came into Mexico illegally to remain in Mexico while their U.S. asylum case was proceeding. Those three decisions, all political, caused this problem. If they are, in fact, going back to deporting some of the people coming illegally, that is a step in the right direction. The way you stop this problem, Joe Biden could stop this problem tomorrow by reversing the three decisions he made, by building the border wall, by ending catch and release, and by reinstating remain in Mexico. It does not work to secure the border so long as you have Democrats in office who are unwilling to deport anyone, because as long as people know if they get here, they can stay, it draws millions and millions and millions, and that's why we've seen over six million illegal immigrants come in under Joe Biden's presidency. Now, I hate to be the negative Nelly here, but if most of those people don't have proper paperwork to begin with or any real ID, how are they going to know what country they're from? Are you from Nicaragua, Cuba, Haiti? No? Okay, you're good to go. And if this is going to be enforced, I'm sure it won't be that difficult for some of these people to get phony identification. More from Greta. Let me tell you what I see as sort of a partial problem with this proposal. I, I, you know, look, everything that we can do that can help, you know, I'm in favor. However, he's allowing four of these nationalities to be turned back to Mexico. I was recently in the in Colombia at the staging ground for people to walk up to, through the Darien Gap into the United States. When I was there, I was told that the month before, which would have been March, that they had counted. Now, these are just the ones that are counted. 87 different nationalities. So when we talk about these four that we're going to send back, that if you do the math, that's 83. Now, the bulk of them, a lot of them are Venezuelan, but in that group of the four is Haiti, and those are real asylum seekers because they have a failed government. Their president was assassinated two years ago, and they don't have any president, and it's run by gangs. So, you know, so I have, yeah, while I appreciate some steps forward, you know, I think that we're not truly being looking at it from a global perspective. Well, there is a process to seek asylum, but the process to seek asylum does not start with crossing illegally into America. That, that's part of why the Remain in Mexico agreement works so well. That, that was an agreement that President Trump had negotiated with the president of Mexico. And Mexico did a couple of things. Number one, it put about 6,000 troops on its southern border. As you know, Greta, the southern border of Mexico is much, much smaller than the 2,000-mile southern border uh, of the United States. And so it's much easier to 
stop the flow of migrants on the southern border of Mexico than it is on the southern border of the United States. So that was part of Remain in Mexico. But the most important part of it was that the vast majority of people coming illegally into this country, as you just noted, are not from Mexico. They're from other countries. Many of them are from Central America. Many of them are from South America. And what Remain in Mexico said is everyone who is coming illegally into Mexico stays in Mexico, remains in Mexico. They can fill out asylum paperwork. Their asylum case can proceed, but they don't get to cross over into the United States. They don't get released. And what happened when Remain in Mexico was signed, when it began being implemented, the numbers of illegal immigration, they plummeted. Texas Senator Ted Cruz on the record with Greta Van Susteren, 6 p.m. Eastern. As I've mentioned many, many, many times, the crisis, the debacle, whatever you want to call it, the unacceptable situation at the border is by far the biggest problem in the United States. And I really, really don't see how anyone that supports the Biden administration doesn't understand, can't wrap their heads around how bad this is. You can blame it on Congress all you want. The other big story in D.C. is the ongoing battle over raising the debt ceiling. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and some other Republicans will meet with President Biden next Thursday, a week from today. Tennessee Congressman Tim Burchett is one of the four Republicans that voted against Speaker McCarthy's debt ceiling plan. Burchett spoke with Wake Up America. Take us through why you voted no on this. Well, we're at a state uh, in this country, I think, that we just need to be responsible, ma'am. We're not being responsible. And, you know, the same, we're cutting the rate of growth. And that, that that's a sucker's bet. That's a freshman accounting trick. And, I mean, that's Washington accounting because the reality, it's growing at an exponential amount. Um, the, 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 it, it cut 1.5, I mean, it added 1.5 trillion per year um, to the debt. And... Um, we just can't keep going this way. We, we've got the majority. Let's let's let if we have to, let, let's slow this thing down. I think we need to we need to bring the president to the table. Um, um, Speaker McCarthy was masterful in in getting all the things that he did get in the bill. But uh, to me, it didn't go far enough. And that's we're we're just voting for more debt and we can't do that we are in serious trouble and i don't think people realize it yeah so congressman that that's my next question uh treasury secretary janet yellen said over the weekend that the u.s could default on its debt as early as june the first uh joe biden then inviting congressional leadership to the white house next week but yesterday corinne jean pierre basically said that the white house will not negotiate on the debt ceiling so why even have a meeting well, it's disingenuous to the president. In 2011, if you remember, he was the chief negotiator on the debt ceiling for then-President uh, Obama when he was vice president. So I feel like the president's being disingenuous in the whole thing. It's just a—it's it's like a bunch of little kids. It's a bunch of kids, and, and it's playing out on the world stage. And, and you have Janet Yellen out there. Who knows? I mean, these people have so far left leanings. They're, they're close to Marxist. Um, I'm not surprised. I think a lot of them really do want to just wreck our system and then rebuild it in some mm. woke model that they want. And um, that, that's the only reason for all this crazy spending that we're doing. Again, Tennessee Congressman Tim Burchett, a Republican who voted against the Republican-led debt ceiling package. And speaking of those on the left, as he did, let's go to Rob Schmidt tonight. Time now for news from the left. First up, the fired anti-Trump FBI agent accused of lying under oath 
is defending our Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, for doing the same thing. Last night, Peter Strzok went on with Chris Cuomo and said it's no big deal that Anthony Blinken lied to Congress about his communications with Hunter Biden before the election and his knowledge of Hunter's no-show job in Ukraine at Burisma, which was clearly Biden influence peddling. There's a difference between catching somebody in a criminal act and catching them in a politically problematic act. I mean, as I read that transcript, this was a 2020 interview, and they're asking Secretary, current Secretary Blinken about events that occurred in 2015. Secretary Blinken can say, look, I was thinking in my memory, this were, these were events five years ago. I was the deputy under the undersecretary of state. I had a lot of things going on. I honestly didn't remember this. For a criminal violation, it would have to be a knowing and willful act. And I think, frankly, that's what we know now. That's a long way away from the facts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just political. It's no big deal to lie under oath. It's just political now. It's, it's nothing. You, know, you, you think Peter Strzok would say that, actually. That's Rob Schmidt, host of Rob Schmidt Tonight. Be sure to catch his News from the Left segment weeknights at 7 o'clock Eastern. It is very informative, or should I say eye-opening, and entertaining as well. Yesterday, I discussed President Trump's planned CNN town hall event. We heard from Ohio Senator J.D. Vance, also a friend of the president. And the conversation continued on National Report with guests Bill Caruso, a Democratic strategist, and Stephanie Hamill from Media Research Center. Bill, to you, the fact that Donald Trump's going on CNN, maybe he could reach a different audience, right? We know that elections, presidential elections, are really about winning those swing states, winning over those independent voters. If President Biden was offered a town hall opportunity on maybe a conservative-leaning network, should he take it? Absolutely. And I've seen, uh, listen, one of the reasons why I was so um, high on President Biden is because of the experience, right? And I watched President Biden in the last election do a town hall meeting. It was challenged from the left. And it was challenged from the left on, on, a, on an immigration issue about no more deportations, which is not a really good policy. And, and, he, and he stood there and defended a really sane and rational policy. That's what you're going to see from Joe Biden. Now, listen, it's interesting to see CNN deciding to be a little bit more fair and balanced. Um, they probably woke up and figured out, that, as you said, their ratings are plummeting, so they've got to do something, too. But this is where Donald Trump isn't at his best. Donald Trump can't help but be Donald Trump. And in that type of setting where it's not a, you know, homogenous group of people that are all Trump fans, he stands to do himself some damage. And remember, he's got to get elected in a general election, whether he cruises through a Republican primary. Donald Trump needs to stand in front of a general election electorate and get elected. And that's still going to be a challenge. All right. Final thoughts again, uh, Stephanie Hamill on this and then we'll part ways. Well, it's free publicity, and I often, and I kind of feel the same way, too. It's uh, it's like going into the lion's den when you go uh, and do interviews with the mainstream media. They often throw these, uh, you know, curveball questions. They try to make you look bad if you're conservative. And keep in mind, CNN has not uh, given pres- former President Donald Trump favorable coverage over the years. I mean, they were hard-pushing the Russia collusion hoax. Most of their coverage was negative, And they've given this Biden administration almost a complete and total pass, especially in regards to the Biden family scandals. It's like they don't even want to cover it. So uh, as for Biden and if he would want to do conservative interviews, it's not that he's not invited onto the shows. Right. I mean, most of the networks, all of the networks I can think of would love to have him. But he's even hard to get if you're a mainstream media reporter 
or sure. mainstream news outlet. I so. mean, you, yeah, you see that in the briefing room, right? When we've got our own reporter, James Rosen, who's trying to get a question into Corinne Jean-Pierre, and she's not taking his questions. That's from National Report with Sean Kreisman and Emma Reckenberg, weekday mornings at 9 o'clock Eastern, right after Wake Up America. And in other news, a judge is dismissing President Trump's lawsuit against the New York Times. Trump filed a $100 million lawsuit against three journalists and his estranged niece. He claimed they worked together to get confidential and highly sensitive records on him to use for their own benefit. Yesterday, Judge Robert Reed dismissed the lawsuit and ordered President Trump to pay the journalists legal fees. And this is so sad. You may have heard about this. The deaths of four horses this week at Churchill Downs has cast a very dark cloud over the usually exciting days leading up to this Saturday's Kentucky Derby. It's also raising more questions and concerns about the sport of horse racing in general. Two horses collapsed and died on the track in the past two weeks. Two others were injured and taken to an equestrian hospital where they were later euthanized. It's different to a horse getting hurt and um, getting injured. That, that's something that you could say, well, misfortune even happens twice like that. This is something that doesn't happen. You know what I mean, it doesn't happen this often. That's trainer Safi Joseph Jr., who trained two of the horses that died at the track. Legendary trainer Wayne Lucas was the trainer of one of the other horses that was euthanized. Churchill Downs officials telling reporters at the track Wednesday that blood work from the horses showed nothing out of the ordinary. And this is interesting, though. It turns out the state of Kentucky does not have the same reporting requirements and database cataloging for equestrian injuries and fatalities as some of the other big horse racing states like California and New York. Saturday is also the much-anticipated coronation of King Charles III. Newsmax will have full coverage of the coronation beginning at 5 a.m. Eastern. If you're into that sort of thing, and if you're not already watching Newsmax TV, it is available on most major cable systems like AT&T, Comcast, Xfinity, DirecTV, Dish, and many others, as well as platforms like Apple, Amazon, Roku, Pluto, and more. Make sure you download the Newsmax app on your phone. This way you can watch your favorite shows anywhere, anytime you want. It's easy to get and it's free, the Newsmax app. Thank you for listening to Newsmax Daily. I'm Tony Marino. Enjoy the rest of your day or night. Again, thank you for the download. And in the meantime, keep fighting the good fight. News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere.